0: In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Earlier today, I was having a discussion with a few people about the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And the essence of being a Christian is to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And that sounds good and is something we all try to do. But the way to really do it is to be able to follow another important teaching and that is the teaching of discipleship. To be able to be a disciple to the master, to the Lord, to the teacher. Now, we always look at discipleship as following somebody else and and of course coming from my own monastic background, I understand fully the importance of having a mentor and having a guide, because it's how I live my monastic life, and to a certain extent, how I've lived the rest of my life from that point on. Because you realize that this is a journey, and I've said this time and time again, it gets boring after a while, but it's a journey we're not supposed to make alone. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be connected in it. We're supposed to be accompanied. And that accompaniment comes from fellowships like this, where we are journeying together, but there also needs to be a guide. So within our own earthly experience, we have a mentor or a guide. But what we really need to understand is that mentor is not supposed to be leading us to him or herself, but actually is supposed to be the way of us reaching our true, example, and following the true footsteps that we are called to follow, and those are of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, discipleship comes at a price. Our Lord, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 10, says to his disciples very clearly, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It means, you know what, whatever has happened to me or is happening to me is going to happen to you. And that's one message we receive time and time again. And we receive it almost as a bad omen. You know what? You're a Christian. Bad things are going to happen to you. But that's not the way we should look at it. The way we should look at it is that our teacher, our master went before us, took this journey, and arrived at the end of it victorious. In our true style, we look at the negative. We look at the challenging. We look at the things that may go wrong, and we flag them up. What we don't look at is the long term. So, yes, of course, in this short term, our Lord suffered. He was ridiculed. He was victimized. He was arrested. He was tried. He was sentenced, he was crucified, but he rose. And that's why when we're following in the footsteps of a master, especially of our master, our Lord, we have to look at the end of his journey. And the end of his journey was resurrection and then ascension to the kingdom. And that's what we are called to do. That's how we are going to live. The first epistle of St. Peter, chapter 2, reads, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. Follow his steps, because he suffered. Again, why is that? Is that because I need to suffer? Is, is Christianity this, this faith of suffering... No, it's because suffering is a step along this journey that leads to rejoicing and victory and resurrection. So when St. Peter says to us, for this you are called, we read that and then we go to the end, which says that you should follow his steps. And his steps went all the way from Bethlehem Being born as an infant, a human infant, in poverty, to the resurrection and the victorious Lord. That whole journey, that whole way we travel. But what we also need to realize when we look at St. Peter is, this is a calling. It's not a haphazard thing. We, we sometimes think a calling is our ministry what I need to do. But suffering is sometimes a calling. Because it is a way of purging. It's, it's what, how, we, how we're purged. Not because we believe that there must be suffering, but that sometimes the things we do, the choices we make, the lives we live, the sins we act out need to be thrust out of our bodies, need to be thrust out of our spirits, out of our minds, out of our consciences. And so, in, in realizing that there is a struggle against everything that faces us and is an obstacle, we overcome. We overcome because we realize the beauty of the end of this road. I realize that this road is not just this struggle, but it's a path. It's a path to a beautiful destination. We we don't focus on beauty and joy as much as we should in our Christian faith. We have a culture sometimes of focusing on suffering and on challenge Our Lord does say, if you want to be my disciple, you must carry a cross and follow me. That's said, but in actual fact, we know that he will always carry that cross with us. Doesn't leave us to suffer alone. Doesn't leave us to be there alone. Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you: a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. This is the point where our Lord says: there are two sides to the equation. Don't just think that following me and being my disciple is going to be suffering. There will be suffering, there will be challenge, but there will be those who will reject you. And even more than reject you, they will persecute you. But there are also others who will accept your word like they accepted mine. So you are called to be who you are. And who we are should not be determined by whether it's going to be an easy or a difficult ride but by the fact that we are called to one truth, that one truth in walking in His footsteps. And those footsteps are sometimes going to be on easy, solid ground, sometimes going to be on slightly shaky ground, sometimes going to be in green pastures, sometimes going to be on turbulent waters. But they're always His footsteps. And we know that at the end of his journey, his footsteps led him to that tomb and that resurrection. So our discipleship is not just a discipleship of challenge. It is also a discipleship of victory. It's a discipleship of power. You know, when we gather here together, We see this power. It's good. It's good to be amongst like-minded people. A blessed fellowship. A holy congregation. But what we also need to feel is when we're out in the street, this fellowship doesn't suddenly disappear. We're still part of this fellowship. We carry this fellowship within us. We're not just members of the body of Christ when we're together. We are always members of the body of Christ. And that's why we need to do two things. The first is always remember that we are part of something much, much greater. And we are part of millions of other people like me who are trying to follow our Saviour. And the second thing is because we are part of something much, much greater, it is not just about getting the benefits of that, but it's about carrying the responsibility of that. And because you and I are part of something much greater, we represent that thing that is much greater. So if you think of an ambassador in this country of a great nation, That ambassador is here with the power of that great nation behind him him or her. But at the same time, that same person represents that great nation, which means he or she is accountable. So we take the benefits, but we also have a duty and a responsibility. So discipleship goes both ways. Sometimes we take it as one or the other. Sometimes we take discipleship as being a burden, Oh, you know, I've got to always represent Christ. I've got always got to be on best behavior. I've always got to say the right thing. It's so much pressure. I don't want to do this. Or the flip side, I'm a disciple, I'm untouchable, I'm Christian, I'm saved. that's what it is. But in actual fact, it's it's a bit of both. We can't have the resentfulness. Of, I don't want to do this, nor can we have the arrogance of, I'm untouchable. But to be a disciple, a true disciple, means to follow this calling and to be like our Master. To be like our Master when he laughed and he rejoiced in the presence of his disciples, when he mourned at Lazarus' tomb, when he suffered along his journey to the cross, and when he rose victorious, the resurrection. That's the holistic, the complete view of what a disciple should be. And that's why if we take it in that context, we are then able to live it. And to live it not being a burden, but being something that empowers us. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, we have another reminder. We read, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on its vines, though the labor of the olives may fail, and the fields have yield no food, though the flocks may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. So we'll go through a lot of things like that. We'll go through periods of of arid desolation sometimes. It just seems like there's nobody on this earth but me, except people who are persecuting me. I feel totally alone, I feel totally estranged, I feel totally isolated. I'm, there's nobody else here. But what we read from Habakkuk here is that's not the case. We will go through times of hardship, but we'll always rejoice in him because his disciples rejoice in him. They know where those footsteps lead. It's, um, it's a bit of an irony, but sometimes we live our Christianity As if we don't know what the end is. Now, we look at the life of our Lord and we look at it in its challenges and quite often as defeat. And we forget that we know the ending. The ending was resurrection and victory. The ending was victorious for me and for the whole of humanity. And so I know that if I keep following in those footsteps, no matter how steep the incline is sometimes or the decline, no matter how thorny the road may be or what I may find along that road, I know where those footsteps lead. They lead to our Lord. They lead to His victory. They lead to His resurrection. They lead to the kingdom that's prepared for me. Step by step. The difference between us and God, one of the differences, is that because I'm here, all I can see is the next step or the next few steps I'm going to step into. What I can't do, which God does, is be able to have a perspective from above from which he sees the whole journey. And not only sees it, but he walked it. He walked it in flesh. That's why he knows. That's why again and again in the scriptures, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we're given a very clear message. I know your sorrows. I know your cries. I know your needs. I know them. I know them because I created you. I know them because I know you. But I also know them because I lived your life. I didn't need to, but I wanted to show you that that's how much I love you. So when I say to you, I know them, then you believe me. Otherwise, you may think I'm in this lofty place speaking about knowing from a distance. It's like when we speak about poverty at the moment, and some people will speak about poverty from a very privileged background, others will say, oh, hang on, how do you know? But our, our Lord was born in poverty. He lived rejected that he rose victorious. And so he took the exact extreme of that rejection, that persecution. You know, now we face persecution and it annoys us. Why should we be persecuted in the 21st century? Our Lord says to us, it's okay. You're my disciple. You're following in my footsteps. This persecution is not enough to shake you. Just trust me. Follow me. And you'll like where you arrive. Most of you, if not all of you, would have heard of Billy Graham. He is one of the... the most respected, oldest, longest standing uh, preachers in the evangelical movement. He said that being a Christian is more than an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more like Christ. It's not just an instantaneous conversion. And many people would, would be surprised that was Billy Graham. Because some evangelical lines will talk about the instantaneous change. But he confirms here and says, it's a daily journey. To be a disciple is a daily journey. It's not even a daily journey, it's a daily choice. Because when I wake up every morning, I need to decide, am I going to keep stepping into those footsteps, or am I going to make my own, or follow others, or go down a different path? It is a daily choice, and it's a good daily choice because it allows us to remember on a daily basis that we have a choice and that we have alternatives. Of course we have alternatives. If I just woke up every morning and thought, I have no choice but God, well, where's my freedom? But the fact that I wake up and know that even if it brings great pain to the heart of God, I am completely within my right to reject Him. And I remember that this is my choice. It's not imposed on me. It's not forced on me. That I know that I need to make that choice. And it keeps me alert. That's why we need to meet with Christ on a daily basis. It's not enough to just have a generic, general, superficial relationship. I need to experience him daily. I need to choose him daily. I need to follow him daily. I need to understand him more and more. We take it for granted sometimes, and we just follow when we feel. But that's not the making of a good relationship, nor is it the making of a good outcome. Because if I only follow him in that way, then I'm going to be selective. Today I'm going to be his, tomorrow I'm somebody else's. Today I'll go down that road along those footsteps, tomorrow I have my own path. And sometimes I keep jumping between these paths and realize after a while that's just difficult and frustrating. What are going to be my personal challenges along this journey and with this discipleship? We just read last weekend the gospel of the raising of Lazarus. And our Lord's speaking to Martha was not to say, Martha, you're doing too much work. He didn't say, Martha, you should sit down and put your feet up. He didn't say, Martha, you're serving all these people. What did he say? He said, Martha, you're distracted. You're distracted by all these things. We can't afford to be distracted neither by the daily, worldly, mortal, carnal living, nor even by what we take as our spiritual journey, but it's actually just a distraction. Because anything that doesn't revolve around our relationship with Christ could become a distraction. We get so caught up with the mechanics of things, with the rituals of things, that we forget to see Christ in the ritual. And they were never, ever meant to be divided. They were never meant to be separated. Everything we do as Orthodox Christians has a symbolic relevance that is deep-seated in our spirituality. And that brings into line our full experience of Christ. So, our journey should never be a distraction. It should be a means by which we are empowered to walk along this journey and to make these choices. So, when you go to work tomorrow morning, don't think that that work is an obstacle. When you have a family commitment, that's not an obstacle. When you have a social commitment, that's not an obstacle. The only obstacles to Christ are the things that distract you from him. But if I see Christ in and through my work, if I see Christ in and through my family, if I see Christ in and through my friends, my community, then I can live both. So your immediate response could be, well, I don't. Work? No, definitely not. Family? Sometimes not. Community, sometimes not. Where is the fault? We need to ask ourselves, where is the fault? Is Christ really not there? Or, is the person in front of me too big an obstacle? Now, if I think that that person is too big an obstacle... Could that person actually be be too big an obstacle for Christ? Of course not. So what happens? I make that person into an obstacle. I give that person charge over my life. I give that person an authority over me because I can't see through him or her. I can't see over. I can't see around. I can't see Christ. But he's there. And that's the beauty of being that disciple in that if I'm following in those footsteps then I know he's there. You know sometimes if you're following someone along the road or if you're driving behind someone and you get an obstacle, you get a car or two between you. You don't suddenly think, "Ah, that's it, disappeared from the road, no longer exists, I can't do anything anymore, I'm lost. You look. You keep looking. Where's it gone? does this obstacle. Do these two or three vehicles suddenly mean that that person I was following has disappeared? Or do I look for telltale signs and I find that lead again? That's exactly how we should be living our lives. As we wake up every day and want to follow Christ down this path, sometimes things will get in our way. Sometimes people and situations will get in our way. Our role is to be able to look and see where he is now and be able to follow him. Don't give in to the desperation. Don't give in to the hopelessness. Don't give in to the idea that because I can't see him, he's not there. Because that is the furthest thing from the truth. In actual fact, again, if we want to visualize it, if we look at the, the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness, at night, he was a pillar of fire. He made sure he was noticeable so that they could follow him. And likewise, at our darkest times, look for the pillar of fire. He doesn't disappear. He just looks different. The pillar of cloud during the day became a pillar of fire at night. Because the time was different, the situation was different, the need was different. The challenges were different and greater. And the beauty of being his disciples as well, is we can rest in him. Not anything else or anyone else, we can rest in him. The book of Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In return, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And it's in Him. In returning to Him. In following Him. In that quietness and confidence in Him. That's where our salvation is. To realize that nothing, nothing can take us away from him. Nothing can be too big an obstacle. Nothing can stop me except myself. You know, you'll have obstacles all the time. You'll have challenges all the time. But I am the only one who will give in to that obstacle or that challenge, will give in to that negativity Will give in to that hopelessness. Because again at the darkest time is when I call upon him, and he will hear my voice. That's a promise. That's a promise that he will not leave us. First Corinthians three, sixteen. Is interesting, we all know it. But I want to interpret it from a slightly different perspective. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Quite often we read that verse as a condemnation. Don't you know you're God's temple? Don't you know you should behave better? Don't you know you should be more holy and more sanctified? But actually... What it also means, what it primarily means is you are the temple of God, sacred and sanctified enough to be His. And so you are holy and protected in Him. He does not leave you because God does not leave His temple. This should not be our condemnation. This is our reassurance that He is far closer than we ever think, that he holds on to us far more than we ever imagine, that he calls and leads and guides us far more than any obstacle can ever get in the way of. And his footsteps are clear and solid, ready for me, waiting for me, leading me to the kingdom that he has prepared, living as his temple here, but living in his kingdom forever. And glory be to God forever. Amen.